guns, gangs, and violence. Welcome to this special edition of Sidewalk Skyline Podcast. We're in a series called Gangland Preachers. The last episode was with Olu Jegede, pastor of Christian Center Church in the Jane Finch Corridor of Toronto. Today, we're going to hear part one of an interview with Dr. Anthony Hutchinson. We're going to hear about his early formation as a gangbanger in Vancouver. And uh, Tony's story is truly remarkable as he journeyed out of those early years into a life of incredible purpose. Dr. Hutchinson is a leading gang expert who specializes in developing and evaluating youth gang prevention programs and presents nationally on anti-gang and gang exit strategies. Dr. Hutchinson is often consulted on matters related to positive youth development, positive youth identity formulation, music as an intervention to positive youth development, and innovative entrepreneurial development and social enterprise opportunities for at-risk youth. He is currently the department head and program chair in health and human services at Tyndall University as an assistant professor at the school. Dr. Hutchinson teaches undergraduate level courses in sociology, social work, social policy, and developmental psychology. Previously, uh, Dr. Hutchinson has held a range of teaching and master's thesis supervision, external reviewer posts for universities in British Columbia and, on, and, and Ontario including Royal Roads University, the University of Toronto, McMaster University, and Wilfrid Laurier. Well, that's just scratching the surface of the things that uh, Tony has been involved in. He also is, uh, has a practice as a psychotherapist. Uh, after uh, this interview, keep on listening. Uh, I'm going to come back and I'm going to share some observations uh, that Tony gave me this week about the effect of pandemic restrictions on crime in Canada. So let's go now to my interview of Dr. Tony Hutchinson. And this was recorded earlier this year at the Mission Canada office in Mississauga. Dr. Hutchinson, I want to focus on your experiences from childhood and young adulthood, primarily in two cities. Vancouver and Toronto. Uh, I had the chance to read some of your bio and I recognize you shouldn't have survived those years uh, except for some divine intervention that started something new at work in you. So I want you to take me back to Vancouver where you were born and raised. You had to deal with a lot of darkness right from the beginning. Uh, take us back to the intensity of your childhood. Well, uh, it's a pleasure to be sitting here with you um, this morning, yeah. Kevin. And, 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 and I think I want to preface this by as much as we all have our own unique stories, mm -hmm. and everybody, one of us. But the reality is I think every person um, shouldn't be here. Mm -hmm. And every person is born into a life of darkness. It's, it's mm -hmm. the nature of who we are as humanity. And, and so then it becomes, I guess, why do we all have our stories? Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and, you know, we think back to 
the Bible that said if, if they could take every account that, that Jesus had, they wouldn't have been able to fill up, uh, they, they would take up so many volumes of pages, mm. you know. Um, and so, so I, I think going back to being born um, in Vancouver and, and, and how, how that occurred um, and, and how I found myself in my own, let's call it darkness, it, it's, it, it becomes a product of what it means just to be human mm-hmm. and what it means to be born into this fallen state, this fallen world. And, um, and we can even be born to good Christian parents mm-hmm. And we know that um, kids can, you know, fall apart, go go astray. Yeah. And um, but the reality is, um, I don't. I, I wasn't necessarily born um, in, in, into a household of, of, let's say, good Christian parents at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I was essentially um, I was I was born into chaos. Mm-hmm. And and um, and so then. When you're when you're born into to chaos, um, and uh, you're bo- born into um, fragmentation and and um, and despair and and um, uh, these a- aspects of what it means to be human, um, it, it sets a trajectory, and 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 then the question is, what is that trajectory and why is that trajectory um, meant to be, mm-hmm. and and we can just say, well, you know, we're born into misery, we're going to pursue, have a, be plagued by a life of misery. Or maybe we can say, well, you know, we can say maybe some soup, some new age philosophy or, or, or something like this. Well, you know, we're, we're, we're born that so we can overcome and, and show, you know, right. how we overcome. But I guess over my life, um, I believe, I always believe that ultimately I came to a point where I believe that the ultimate purpose is, is that we're, we're here for God's purpose and his glory. And, and, and I, I began to, I began to cling to that, even though I never really understood why there were, there were definitely mm-hmm. seeds along the journey that maybe mm-hmm. we can talk about, but, but you know, there, there's a, there's a, there's a Bible verse that says, um, I knew you from before you were born. What a comfort. Right. Yeah. And in, I think it's in, is in, um, Jeremiah, mm-hmm. I believe. And, and, and so while you were in your mother's womb, you know, I, I had planned your, your, your life and yeah, we can talk about things like predestination and all these um, theological concepts, but I, I don't even, I don't even want, I don't even get into that. I just believe that, that, cause anybody, anybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be mm-hmm. saved. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so, so I really believe, but, but, but there, it's always there. It's always open. Mm-hmm. And, and so the door's always there and we just have to walk through it. And so I guess for me, I made, I did make a decision when I was relatively young to walk through that door. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a, another verse that says, if you're young and you know, and you, you learn the truth or you're, you're, yeah. you're molded in a certain way, uh, when you get old, you're not going to depart from it. Right. And so, so I find there's a lot, so if anything, I see my, my life as a, uh, a and when I when my book is, is published, you just alluded to my book, but when it's published, every chapter actually starts off with a, it's a secular book, mm-hmm. but it starts off with a Bible verse, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and I start each chapter with this Bible verse, and 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 um, because it seems like if anything, my life has always been not because of me, but in spite of me. Mm-hmm. 
and 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 it's it's not because because I I always walk away from God. Yeah. And I'm always unfaithful to God, but he never walks away from me. Yeah. And he's never unfaithful to me. Yeah. And 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 but again, you don't like Paul says, you don't keep pushing that and trying that and right. tempting that. Right. Um, you know, like, you know, just because, you know, um, grace or mercy abound, do I, you know, keep being a reckless um Sin, sin, sinner, or something. Like when that. did your awareness of of God uh, begin in childhood? You know, um, it's interesting. So, my dad, my dad was a sailor. Mm-hmm. My dad, um, my dad came from a, a very interesting background, um, and um, I, I don't, I don't want to go too much into it. A lot of the stuff will be in my, my, my book, so mm-hmm. I don't want to give too much of a spoiler. But mm-hmm. my dad came from a really interesting background, and uh, and there was a lot of um, very intriguing um, components and parts to him. But there was a lot of tragedy um, mm-hmm. in his in his past as well. Left home at fifteen, mm-hmm. and he he essentially lied about his age. He was he was he was of half Spanish descent, and then partially Scottish and Nigerian background mm-hmm. through the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, migrations through the Caribbean of Scots and, and, and Nigerians. But, um, and his uh, family came from La Coruña, Spain, and again migrated through the Caribbean. And he was, he was born. And, um, but he, he went through a lot of abuse as a kid and, and in the island of Trinidad. And uh, he ended up um, joining the... Um, uh, he, at that point, uh, Trinidad was still a British colony, so he had a British passport. So he joined the uh, British Merchant Marines just mm-hmm. towards the end of World War II. But he lied about his age. Lied about his age. He said he was eighteen. He was actually fifteen. You know, but they didn't check in those days. Yeah. So he spends the next. You know, uh, he finished uh, finished off the war, Royal Merchant Marines, and then got onto the uh, British oil tankers BP, and then he he moved into the Greek oil tankers mm-hmm. and traveled the world. And he was essentially raised by sailors. For the uh, next thirty, um, the next um, I guess twenty-five years, quarter of a century. So, so from the time he was fifteen till the time he was forty, he essentially was raised by sailors. And um, and uh, if you describe him as a pirate, that would be quite accurate. <laughs> and and um, he ends up meet my mom, who actually uh, was part Arawak Indian, indigenous to Venezuela and South Asian from Indian ancestry. Again, island of Trinidad. She. Mm-hmm. Ended up being a fair-skinned lady, very fair-skinned. Uh, didn't take after her um, siblings, who were all quite dark. And she ended up moving to Vancouver, becoming mm-hmm. a school teacher in the fifties. And uh, she went through a lot of tragedy in her own life: mm-hmm. um, sexual assaults, um, um, betrayals by her family, and things like this. Um, her from her very first child that she had was kidnapped oh. um, and um, taken um, taken uh, out internationally at the age of three. And so um, she had a lot of tragedy in her own life. And, and um, in 1966, you know, my dad came into Port of Vancouver with his ship at the time. And he just, you know, through happenstance, met my mom. And um, my mom, interesting, my dad was essentially raised Roman Catholic, mm-hmm. you, know, um, uh, you know, Spanish ancestry and so forth. My mom was, her, her mother was a, an orphaned girl. And uh, she grew up in an Anglican convent. Mm. But my mom's family was essentially Hindu. Mm. But my mom's mother, because she was raised uh, in this Anglican or- orphanage, 
used to do some of the Anglican teachings with my mom when she was growing up. And mm -hmm. so my mom kind of had the, walked these two lines of Hinduism and, and Anglicanism. And, um, and so, uh, but by the time, you know, my mom and dad met in uh, 1966 in the port of Vancouver, uh, February um, 1966, um, she, you know, my dad was taken aback that he meets this lady from Trinidad yeah, you know, like eight thousand kilometers away, yeah. <laughs> you know, and 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 um, and um, and and so, you know, and and you know, and you know, one thing led to another, and and um, and they end up, you know, I ended up being born about a year later, and they got they were married, and, and I was born a year later. And your dad continued, and he got off the sailing. No, he no. Got, you know, he he started to go. He set port. Mm -hmm. um, of course, he never told my mom that he had a a wife and a family in Greece. Okay, so um, so the, that, the inconvenient truth. There you go. Yeah. yeah, and and so so again, this just you know this is kind of so again my, you know my white my my uh, life is starting in chaos. I, I mean I, I I discovered that you know you know I was born in April nineteen sixty seven. Mm -hmm. um, my parents were married in um, in March of nineteen sixty seven. Mm -hmm. So if you do the math, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, they, I, they, I was born out, you know, a yes, month after they were married. In a day when that was uh, very much looked down upon. There you go, yeah. right? You know, and, and, and so, um, you know, so I, it was, uh, um, so, the, you know, and, and so the seeds of faith, you know, I mean, look, at the end of the day, at a, at a, at a, at a, at a hyper, at a very hyper um, um, kind of uh, um, superficial level, my, my dad was that Catholic. Mm -hmm. My mom was had a an inclination of Anglicanism. Yeah. And and so um, we ended up uh, kinda going to the Anglican church throughout my early years mm -hmm. at a superficial level. Yeah. You know, um, again especially at that C and E, you know, the, mm -hmm. the the Christmas and Easter phenomenon. Yeah. Yeah. And and um, and growing up I, I was again I was born and raised in Vancouver, Canada, and and so um, but I, I, you know, you know how you're a kid, and you, you kind of find church kind of boring, and mm -hmm. and so I didn't really resonate with what I was getting. But I, one thing I did know is I liked the stories in Sunday school mm. as, a, as a young child. Mm -hmm. Like I liked these stories, and and there, and, and and you know, we learned about Adam and Eve, and I remember in, in when I was four. Five years old. We learned about Adam and Eve. Now, take into account that my home life was very tumultuous, and mm -hmm. my dad became an abusive drunk, and yeah. and um, there was a lot of family violence, and my mom had bipolar, and mm -hmm. and um, and and so um, that was tough. Um, uh, I also grew up with a lot of racism in Vancouver mm -hmm. um, because at that time it wasn't very diverse, and um, yeah. and I have a mixed background, um, and. Um, and uh, interestingly enough, my dad was passed as, as Caucasian. Mm -hmm. um, he was very fair-skinned. My mom was relatively fair-skinned. Mm -hmm. And but I ended up, and for the first three years of my life, I essentially was very fair-skinned. Yeah. And then around the age of four, I, my skin started darkening because yeah. of my mom's genetics, yeah. and maybe even my dad's. Yeah. And my dad's like, well, one thing I didn't tell you is my dad was inherently racist. Wow. So I, I began to get this rejection from him mm. because I was getting dark, wow. and and that was really tough. And and um, anyway, but it, but then you know, in Sunday school, I you'd get these messages that God created in Anglican Sunday school. We got these 
God created uh, all people equally. He loves yeah. everybody. Yeah. You know, we're all one humanity, kind of, you know, we're all children of God. Yeah. Because that was the one prayer that they always would say, you're all God's children. But you still had the white people flanograph? Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 was, it, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. I, I, um, so, in, so the seeds were planted in, in probably Anglican Church Sunday School. Mm-hmm. And, 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 I, and so I never want to downplay the importance mm-hmm. of early childhood inter, um, engagement in Sunday school. Mm-hmm. I think, and so anybody who's a, a Sunday school teacher, I think is one of the most important uh, functions people can do in, mm-hmm. in the church. Mm-hmm. And, and, we, and, 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 and we always treat it almost like it's a glorified daycare. Let's get the kids out so they don't distract the, the church service. Yeah. But... I think that people who serve in Sunday schools are probably, should be the foundation of our churches. Mm-hmm. You know, not the appendage. Right. Because, because it's yeah. those seed, those we don't know the power of those early seeds. Yeah. And, and the, the best scientific evidence shows the most critical years of life for every single human being from a social determinist health perspective is the first six years. Yeah. And so if we got our kids, you know, in, in, in Sunday school, mm-hmm. you know, from the time they're three to six, and I honestly believe that's what happened to me. Mm-hmm. I, I think those were those seeds were planted. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 um, and, uh, and then it, got, it, it began to get more uh, intricate as I grew, mm-hmm. of course, like with mm-hmm. anybody, but those first six years. So as much as I had the, this, the chaos of my life with my, mm-hmm. my mom and my dad, family violence, alcohol abuse, um, all kinds of uh, messed up um, um, sexual things were going on in my family as well. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as I had that, you know, there was this this time where on Sunday mornings for forty five minutes, um, you gotta you gotta break from all that. You did, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and and so and so you you became aware that there was this entity, this presence, this mm-hmm. kind of omniscient, omnipotent being yeah. that could possibly intervene. And yeah. so that so the question, the philosophical question for you as a kid is like, well, how do I connect to that? Yeah. How do I? Yeah. And that, most that, that I think most uh, most people, when they think about, you know, uh, their their childhood, their upbringing, um, at the time. Uh, you feel like I'm living a normal life, mm-hmm. and then as as you start to get older and into adult years, you start to look back and say, "Wait a second, some things were off." Mm-hmm. Did did you feel like you, even though you had all this chaos, did it feel normal to you? It no, it never no, felt normal. Never felt normal. It never it never felt. It was normal. exceptional because I saw yeah. other kids that seemed happy. Yeah, and I saw other kids that seemed to have nice parents. Yeah. You, and, you know, you, were you unhappy? Um, uh, you know what? Like it went back and forth. Yeah, it went back and forth. But, but again, I got to give my mom credit for taking us to Sunday school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, at time, and again, it wasn't even that, that frequent. Yeah, and, and and so it's the idea of the the uh, the novel. Yeah, the the, the 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 right. So we didn't go every we didn't go every week. Yeah, we would go periodically. And so when you only get some things periodically, you appreciate it more. Right. It, it didn't get overly familiar where yeah. you could just dismiss it out of mind. Yeah. And so, yeah. And, and, and of course on TV too, I, you know, there would be these little um, TV shows like Davy and Goliath. 
Yeah, I, I don't remember who made those, but but I, I would just watch these things on on, on Sunday mornings, and they yeah. just would have an incredible impact. And yeah, and, you know, and for some reason, I would be mesmerized with them even more than you know, I don't know, Planet of the Apes or Spider Man cartoons. You know? yeah. yeah. So um, anyway, um, so there, there there was an interest in the moral tale right from an early age, wasn't it? I think there was because there were certain things that happened to me. Um, sexual violations that occurred with me um, around my uh, parents mm -hmm. uh, when I was a kid uh, mm -hmm. and I knew they were more wrong yeah um, but you know and um, so uh, so again I think there so it goes back to the point I think there's some things that we inherently know are wrong yeah and 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 and, and we know that things aren't normal but you're right people begin to just acclimatize to it yeah but um, but you know but I, I think the big thing that really began to impact me more, more than anything um, was actually more than likely racism because it was it was in grade one where you know I was just I was happy I think at that point I was relatively okay mm -hmm. ha, um, you know struggles and stuff eventually my, my parents essentially separated uh, when I was three my mm -hmm. dad took off and let, went to, back to his family in Greece for two years mm -hmm. you know they kind of he came back when I was five and then mm -hmm. there was a whole bunch of violence between him and my mother over the next few years and and um, and and then you know and then things kind of settled down I end up in grade one and and um, I'm, I'm in uh, the bathroom in my school and a kid comes up to me and goes hey why are you why are you so dark and I'm like uh, I don't know and I, and, and he says you know maybe well you know I said well, I was just maybe playing in the dirt and I got dirty yeah. and he's like oh well yeah maybe you know, maybe if you wash yourself uh, here in the bathroom really wow. good you can get yourself clean wow you know and 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 then and you know and then you know that year I realized um, I um, I uh, I couldn't see in the, in the school very well, so I I didn't want to get in trouble from the teacher, and I was the only brown kid in my school, mm -hmm. I think at that point, um, and uh, and so I they 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 I, I would make stuff up, so they would they would say, well, what's on the board? And uh, there could be numbers, it could be they could be mm -hmm. pictures, and I would just go like, uh, just look at the number four, and I go, oh, it's a car, because I couldn't see. Yeah. And yeah. and and so I just made so then so they they go, what's this? Something's wrong with this kid, you know? He's like, you know, um, and so. <clears throat> And so basically, they, they called a social worker. She did some testing on me, and and I just learned to just try to give people responses they wanted because if you didn't do that, you got beat at home, mm -hmm. right? So um, so you just gave people the responses you think they want, yeah. So that way you won't get in trouble, yeah. And um, and so uh, you know she tested me and. They go, there's something wrong with this kid. So they sent me to the school board head office and I get tested by a psychologist and uh, the psychologist concludes, the PhD, clinical psychologist, you know, this is why I don't have a lot of respect for psychology and stuff. Even though you are one. Well, yeah, you know, I, well, I'm a doctor of psychosocial clinical practice, but it's the same, yeah. same training. And, 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 and uh, they concluded I was mentally retarded. Wow. And so all of a sudden you got this clinical psychological diagnosis that you're mentally retarded. Yeah. And, um, and, it, and that label's now going to stick with me for the rest of my school years, by the way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But but what happens is my mom wouldn't accept that. Mm -hmm. So she took me to the family doctor. Mm -hmm. And this just goes to the pride of clinical people. Mm -hmm. She takes me to the, my family doctor. He comprehensively tests comprehensively test me, even though the psychologist comprehensively tested me. Right. And he goes, your son has essentially elongated eyeballs. Hmm which are creating a vision impairment and a significant myopia or 
Yeah. I can't see distance. Yeah. And he's going to have to wear very thick glasses. Wow. Coke bottle glasses wow. at, that, at that time. And, 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 then, and that fixed my ability to see. Yeah. And I wasn't retarded anymore. Yeah. Wow. But, but the issue was the school board won't take back their diagnosis. Oh, my goodness. Right? Yeah. So uh, now, but it creates another scenario. So now I'm labeled mentally retarded, which sticks because, you know, this like, school board psychologist will never admit he made a mistake. Yeah. But that, you know, oh, I just, you know, I just labeled a kid who just you, couldn't see. You were cluster bombed with rejection. Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, well, yeah, you know, my father and now the school board psychologist. And then, and then now, but, but now the other kind of thing was I, I had to wear these really thick glasses, Coke bottles. So now my nickname became, you know, you know, you're a racialized kid, now you're called four-eyed freak. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so all of a sudden this begins going on. And so that begins following you through um, for your next school years. And yeah. so, you know, it, it, it just, it, it seemed like, you know, the, the cards were really being stacked up against me. And then, um, and you know, I really kind of struggled in school. My, I went to a different school. My mom was a school teacher mm -hmm. and single mom. Mm -hmm. So she was always trying to figure out ways for people to take care of us, move us to schools where we had daycare. And so we were, I was moving from school to school, sometimes twice in a year. Yeah. And yeah, so, so you never developed a deep sense of community there. Or friendships or anything, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so for the first six to, you know, for the first eight years of my life again you know chaos no firm foundations um it was it, it was crazy and 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 i just remember having to create up my own, create my own realities mm. to survive and but i mean my best friend was television yeah you know i was essentially raised on you know happy days and sesame street and and different tv shows right and, and yeah. that became my reality and yeah. and i was i became a latchkey kid mm -hmm. from the time i was uh, six years old Mm. you know mm -hmm. um, and uh, I had to raise myself and you know and some, I was like you know, I remember being sick as sick as a child having to stay home in grade uh, 7 and 8 years old staying mm -hmm. home alone by myself while my mom went to work because I, I, I couldn't go to school because I was sick yeah you know and um, and, and and one you know I guess one, one other thing when I was a little kid you know I mean I had these ears really big ears that used to stick straight out like Dumbo mm-hmm mm -hmm. And I remember my, my, my doctor, because he was a very kind man, and he said to my mom, he goes, you know, your son's got, he, he, this kid has a lot of, he, he was perceptive enough, he was a yeah. Jewish doctor, he was perceptive enough to understand rejection, because he, yeah. was a, he, was a, he had a Jewish history. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and he basically said, we, need, we should actually, I'm concerned that people, kids are going to make fun of him because of his ears. So they did an operation. It was at that point. It was new, relatively speaking, where they pinned back the ears. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. And and that created. And so for the first, they had my whole head wrapped up in bandages after that, like a turban, yeah. you know. And and so, but again, you know, otherwise that would just have been another problem. But but uh, but you know that it, it was tough. And then of course my mom, single mom, lonely, wanted to have a man in her life and yeah. she at that point she meets um my husband or not my husband her her, her <laughs> husband yeah <laughs> so um you know i so my, I, I at that point my you know um my mom um yeah she's a lonely single mother she wanted to meet uh, i guess a guy so she 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 met this fellow school teacher a dark skinned um indian guy from trinidad mm -hmm. it it the argument is actually she actually had an affair with him some years mm. earlier while she was still with my father mm. and actually was pregnant with my sister. Wow. 
which this is a yeah. story that my my godmother later told me in like later life yeah. uh, which is why a lot of the chaos happened with my dad because all of a sudden my my you know my the intimate yeah. life between my dad and my mom wasn't that great and all of a sudden she's pregnant yeah so my dad was a little bit upset i guess he would be you know yeah. and so so maybe that's what created some of the turmoil but anyway so she ends up with this guy Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a school, high school biology and uh, sciences teacher. And uh, he proceeds to um, beat me every single day for oh, every morning uh, for close to the next eight years, off and on. Got less as I got older, but mm-hmm. but he would still, like, that's how he'd wake me up every morning. I, wow. I'd be sleeping and the guy would just come into my room. And But what he would do, my mom would go uh, get up in the morning, go into the shower, um, and uh, and the shower would start. And, um, and we were living in a house at one point where I could actually see directly uh, cr- cross into my sister's bedroom. Mm-hmm. So he would get up, he would go into my sister's bedroom, hang out in there with her for half an hour. Mm-hmm. And I, I could see what was going on. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the shower would go off, and then he would leave her bedroom, come into my bedroom and beat me to wake me up. Wow. And this is what my life was. Yeah. For, you know, and, and uh, meanwhile at school, you know, um, I was getting um, grade three, grade four, grade five. Um, I was arrested for the first time when I was in grade three. Grade three. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I. Um, I. Uh, I. Um, I. You know. I, I. I needed attention or something. I don't know what I needed, and um, I figured if I, you know, gave some nice things to some of the other kids at school, you know, they'd be nice to me, and so I, you know, I went yeah. to a store and and stole a bunch of stuff. I got away with it. Yeah. You know. Uh, but um, I guess they somehow caught me on security camera or something and mm-hmm. figured out I was at that local school and, and uh, the people showed up, the police, and, wow. and uh, they're like, yeah, we saw that you uh, stole a bunch of stuff. And, wow. you, you know, and, and, and um, <clears throat> now, of course, you know, you're grade three, they're not going to, you know, so yeah, I just got a lot. didn't throw you in the slammer. No, but, you know, I mean, I got, in a, like, you know, uh, my mom beat the tire out of me that, when I got home that mm-hmm. night, you know. There's a um, John Steinbeck in uh, East of Eden book he wrote, published in 1952. Uh, there's a there's a couple quotes uh, that talk about rejection, and that that book was all uh, kind of built around uh, the the premise of Cain and Abel, mm. contextualized into uh, into the states. But the, listen to this quote here. Um, And as a few strokes on the nose will make a puppy head shy, so a few rebuffs will make a boy shy all over. But whereas a puppy will cringe away or roll on its back groveling, a little boy may cover his shyness with nonchalance, with bravado, or with secrecy. And once a boy has suffered rejection, he will find rejection even where it does not exist, or worse, he will drop forth from people simply by expecting it. You know, it, it, that's a powerful, powerful quote because, I mean, not that this has happened to me per se, but um, I guess I do it in other ways. But you get there's examples of children that are, are physically abused by their yeah. parent. Mm-hmm. And it, they get to the point where if they've done something wrong or they're going to get in trouble, yeah. they pull out their own hair 
yeah. or they will smash their own head Hurt against themselves. the wall. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because you don't need to do this to me. I'll take care of it. Yeah, yeah. And, and 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 I think I, I that became maybe what I did. I began to punish myself in all mm -hmm. kinds of adverse coping ways mm -hmm. throughout my growth. But uh, you know, the reality is, you know, whatever. I, again, the Bible, God, you know, like whatever man intentions for evil does God use for good and mm -hmm. the stepfather who was a horrible horrible man mm -hmm. uh, he's still alive today and he's still just has wants nothing to do with me he knows his guilt yeah and you know and um and um and again he stayed with my mom for the next um maybe uh well grade grade three to grade 12 so nine ten years mm -hmm. before they finally got divorced and that he became very violent too but um in a nutshell he grew up in the south of Trinidad in a place called Princess Town. Mm -hmm. And there was this little uh, Muslim girl uh, whose father was a ma an imam that he went to school with. Mm -hmm. And um, and I guess he remembered her from those days, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he somehow connected with her in Vancouver. But little did he know that this Muslim girl, um, who was the daughter of an imam, had become a, um, a, a very... Um, influential well-known evangelical woman Pentecostal hmm. leader wow. um, so what happened is uh, there at the time I guess in the 60s there was a, there was a evangelical uh, Pentecostal Christian faith um, um, kind of leap, uh, leader and named Mary Goddard who had a kind of a healing ministry Mm -hmm. um, she was also associated with people like Chuck Smith from the Calvary Chapel okay, movement yeah, and that yeah, kind of thing, yeah. and and um, and and but she again, you know, where you know, especially with strong women leadership began occurring mm -hmm. uh, in the in the states, um, and and um, more and that was affiliated more with the um, the uh, um, uh, Assemblies of God mm -hmm. in, in the states, and uh, and then and then out of her ministry was uh, came this uh, uh, sorry sorry I I, I meant uh, it was Catherine Coolman. Oh, Catherine Kuhlman. It was yeah. Catherine Kuhlman, yeah. sorry. Yeah, so Catherine Kuhlman was, was the... Uh, so Catherine Kuhlman, um, through the kind of the Assemblies of God, Faith Ministry, um, across the uh, United States, became a, a really pronounced leader. And she mentored a lady uh, named Mary Goddard. I guess it was a fellow Who American. Who was the daughter and, and, of the imam. No, no. So Mary, she, she met Mary Goddard um, became a, a, another influential woman, oh, and okay. she became the mentor for this Muslim woman. Oh, okay, okay. So yeah. just kind of, it was just so she was basically. So you, you started with Catherine Kuhlman, um, then you go this lady called Mary Goddard, and then and then this lady Shayna. Okay, okay. And Shayna, and so my my stepfather did not know that his former classmate had become this evangelical woman uh, for, with a powerful women's teaching ministry and a healing ministry. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so by 19, um, so my mom and stepfather were married in 76, and by 77, my mom was diagnosed with um, a severe degenerative uh, disc disease in her neck mm -hmm. and in her spinal structure, mm -hmm. uh, where her, 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 her bones were essentially disintegrating. Wow. And, the, and the, uh, all these medical specialists gave her about two years to live. Maximum, he says. You know, they, so they said we we you need to make provisions for your children. And now you know, take into account, you know, I got this stepfather who's horrible. Yeah. My my father was still a raging alcoholic. Um, we would see him on the weekends, and we'd go there, and he'd be I'd get trapped in my the the bedroom where I slept with my sister uh, while he'd be raging drunk, running around mm. naked in the in the living room, and and then wanting to beat us and 
molest her and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so it was just chaos all over the place. There was no safe place for us yeah. in terms of parents. Um, and now, you know, and, and then, you know, the, the parent that's supposed to be taking care of you is now, you know, got a death notice. Mm. So, um, so my mom was introduced to this Shana Mohip by my stepfather, mm -hmm. the same guy who was horrible. And, but then my mom came to, she moved from kind of the superficial Anglicanism, where, you know, we still go occasionally. Um, our stepfather had nothing to do with any kind of Christian mm. religion. Mm -hmm. And, um, and uh, my mom started going to these Bible studies and prayer meetings. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then uh, in that, um, she basically had a, a miraculous healing and complete restoration of her neck. Wow. Proven by x-rays and three medical specialists wow. in, in the city of Vancouver, all independent. And yeah. so when they, she went and um, she went to a prayer meeting and she left it and as she was driving away, she kind of heard these pops in her, her neck and she claimed uh, the healing. And, and, um, and, 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 and they couldn't explain it. Like they, they declared it a miracle and, and, um, love it. And, 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 uh, and yeah, and, and these were like, these were like, like science based specialist doctors yeah. and there were three yeah. reports all independent. This wasn't somebody who was delusional and no. in denial. This was documented. This yeah. was unbelievable. And yeah, and, and I remember having to see my mom, you know, she'd sit there for hours with her neck in traction in the bedroom yeah. and all kind of yeah. going to physio and, and you know, and her teaching career was over, her life was over mm -hmm. and she had this miraculous healing. And, and so of course, the next thing you know, you know, of course we're going to Pentecostal churches mm -hmm. and we're going to Bible studies and all this. And then, and then my mom took me to Mary Goddard when I was 12, mm -hmm. uh, 11 or 12, I can't remember 11 or 12. And Mary Goddard prophesied over me. Hmm. And at that point, uh, Mary Goddard, and she said all of these things, like she said things that nobody could know about me. And, and she also said, God had certain plans for me, yeah. but I was going to be like a rebel and a mule along the way. You know, and, and, and I was like, okay, whatever. And, and, but I remember, and, and I remember she was, one thing I remember about Mary Goddard, she was a cool lady, mm -hmm. right? She was like a, and, 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 and so I, I grew up under the, you know, the kind of the strong woman guidership of, of the Shana Mohit, my mom's yeah. friend. And there were some other strong women leaders um, who I grew up under. Um, but, um, but, you know, after that, you know, um, by the time I, the, the abuse was still going on with my stepfather at home mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And. And he, and he hated the fact that my mom became a Christian, a born-again Christian. He just, yeah. and, and you know, and of course, one of the things is the minute that born-again Christianity uh, sometimes plays out in people's lives, it doesn't get better, it gets worse. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, that, and that's what happened in my house. Mm -hmm. it, if it wasn't, it, we, 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 we jumped out of the fire into the frying pan. You know, and we would, and my mom just, you know, and it was every day was a fight. Every day was an yeah. argument. It was violent, and 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 my but my mom just kept going back because remember she had this miraculous healing. Yeah, that's all she knew. Yeah, and so she had to stick with that, and so the, she just drew more. And I remember she'd listen to you know um, ra the radio, Christian radio, and mm -hmm. so I grew up around that. And, um, but you know, but then you know the influences of high school. Um, you know, I was still being teased. I was still labeled. Yeah, and, you're and, still carrying around a lot of rejection, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so basically what ended up happening, um, you know, people still made fun of me for my glasses and, and the fact that I was not white and racism continued at school. And, and, uh, and so finally one day I was, I was walking through a Canadian tire. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
there's a little, uh, they had a display case where they basically had a 22 handgun. Hmm. A 22? 22. Yeah. And it was there. And how old were you? Uh, I would have been about 14. About 14, okay. Yeah. And I was able to steal it. Hmm. And um, I, I took it to metalwork. I was in grade nine at the time mm -hmm. at Caribou High School, and I modified it in to, shot class to, to shoot to shoot rounds to shoot bullets. Wow! And um, and um, and that was and then eventually I got another one. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny because you know the kids were making fun of me one day, and I remember uh, you know I remember some kid was making fun. I think at that point you know again drug dealing became we started doing marijuana mm -hmm. drug dealing around that age. And, Mm -hmm. You know, um, and uh, and that's how you make money. Yeah. So I had to make money, and then, and I was afraid of getting beaten up. You know, people not taking me seriously. So the gun seemed to be an interesting uh, way of protecting it. But remember, these kids were laughing it's at an me. Interesting conversation starter. Yeah. yeah. And uh, some kids were laughing at me, and I um, I remember I just uh, pulled out my gun, mm -hmm. pointed at them, and they stopped laughing. Mm -hmm. And. Um, and, and I realized that, you know, if, as long as I had this, this thing, uh, I had power. Mm -hmm. and, um, and, you know, it got to the point where, uh, you know, sometimes you have to use it mm -hmm. to um, get a little bit of respect from somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, if, you know if, if you shot somebody and they died, it wasn't your fault, it was their fault. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you know, they shouldn't have teased you. Yeah. You know, um, you didn't sit there and you reached the point where you didn't, you weren't remorseful or sad about it. You, you know, these, it, these people brought this on themselves. They yeah. shouldn't have disrespected you or something. And, yeah. and you know, and, and I, but I guess at that point I, I was, I was pretty angry mm -hmm. about certain things in life. Um, even though my mom, it was healed. She didn't, eventually over time, my mom used to began to focus more on the healing than the healer. Mm -hmm. That was the thing about my mom. Right. Right. That was a big problem with her. She, yeah. she, and she'd always, and she kept, and so I think we have a testimony and we have to move beyond our testimony. Right, right. It's, I, our testimonies are really there for God, not for us. A, a sign of the kingdom is, is on the road of life. Yeah. But you don't say, okay, I'm going to live here at the sign. Mm -hmm. You follow the sign to where it's leading. Yeah. 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 And so and again, it was just part of my mom's, um, I guess, one of her own Achilles heels. But, but um, by 14, I, was getting into in full-fledged, um, we can call it a kind of gang activity, some bad kids. Uh, mm -hmm. We were, you know, now, like, now they call it a gang. Yeah. You know, back then, look, we were a bunch of kids. We stole stuff. We sold it. Yeah. Uh, we dealt drugs. We came from the same neighborhood, same high school. Um, Semi-organized crime. Well, I had guns, yeah. you know. You yeah. know, if there was a Korean store, you know, uh, we, we could rob it, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, um, it was fun, you know. You point a gun at somebody and they... They listen to you, mm -hmm. you know. I, I get that kind of thing, but and you think you're tough. You think you're cool, mm -hmm. and and we're doing a lot of really tough, cool, bad things. Yeah. But um, but then I liked a girl uh, in um, around Valentine's Day in grade nine, and um, and uh, I um, decided to go to a local Woolco and steal some um, nice presents for her. Mm -hmm. So I stole a Valentine's chocolate mm -hmm. uh, uh, in a heart. I stole some um, CDs because, you mm -hmm. know, music. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I stole a pair of girls' jeans. Mm -hmm. But, you know, now take into account, you know, if you're a bad kid, you know, you're, you're dealing drugs, you're, you know, you're, you're trying to um, yeah. vandalize cars, yeah. you're robbing stores, you're doing other... Uh, I got busted for shoplifting. Nice. Yeah. 
And, 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 and the crazy thing is, when they busted me, mm-hmm. I had a pair of women's jeans, or girls' jeans, strapped around my waist. <laughs> so, you know, it, it was just the antithesis of, 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 of getting arrested for something so non-cool. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and, um, and I remember I... I you had, had to maybe uh, uh, embellish the story when you told the... Well, well yeah, you know, because, yeah. you know, you want to, yeah. like, you know, like, I was taking, I was in a takedown or something, yeah, but it wasn't yeah. that glorious, yeah. you know. And um, anyway, to make a long story short, I ended up getting a probation officer, and uh, he ended up being a Christian. Hmm. Well, that's quite a story, isn't it? You don't want to miss part two of this interview. We'll be back on May 15th with part two. Isn't it amazing how God can use people to affect great change in young lives. The Tony Hutchinson story could have been one that ended in tragedy, but the gospel is for broken people that need love, people that need healing, people that need purposeful correction. So I asked Tony uh, the other day, uh, what kind of impacts uh, are you noting uh, around crime and crime statistics in Canada uh, at this time of pandemic restrictions. Uh, he, he said it's a little hard to get the read because of some of the mitigating factors, but here's, here's some observations. Uh, first of all, in terms of the levels of crime, overall crime rates are down. Uh, but this is partially because police are arresting people less due to the risk of COVID-19 upon police officers. Uh, Police are giving out uh, fines in parks uh, for people that are breaking the uh, social distancing rules. Um, Domestic violence has uh, been reported on the rise as people are in closed quarters at home. However, the uh, murder rates are reported as stable. Car thefts are reportedly up. With uh, more empty roads and people at home, speeding and stunt driving is up. Uh, DUIs, on the other hand, are down uh, because there are fewer people that are out drinking and then driving home drunk. There have been uh, reported break and enters into some businesses that have inadequate security systems and drug crime arrests are uh, reportedly way down. Uh, Police actions. Police are arresting fewer people, as I mentioned, due to the risk of COVID-19 to police officers. Uh, And in the U.S., uh, there are numerous police officer deaths due to COVID-19. And in the courts, uh, the courts are backed up and uh, prolonged delays uh, to have charges heard in court. Uh, It was already bad in that regard, but COVID-19 has just exasperated the court and the court process. Uh, And then in jails, uh, inmates uh, in some cases are getting sick from COVID-19. And because of that, um, those who have minor uh, nonviolent charges are securing earlier release dates. Uh, there are guards that are getting sick with COVID-19. Isn't it interesting how all of this is having an effect on literally everyone? 
Let's remember to pray for frontline workers today, including police, including correctional officers, and all those who daily put their lives on the line. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing part two of this episode. I hope you are too, when we come back on May 15th with Dr. Anthony Hutchinson. That wraps up our episode for today. So until next time, keep one ear to the sky and one ear to the ground in your city. I'm Kevin Rogers, and you've been listening to Sidewalk Skyline Podcast.